for myself, I was always kind of blindly confident. Like that got me to where I was. You know, I think many of us working as artists kind of have that, this element of, I can do this. But then you have these internal freakouts every half hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about finding your unexpected path to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, we're talking to Brian Nuda Roche. Brian is an artist. He also works at Minnesota Street Project, which is an incredible gallery system and arts organization here in San Francisco, where he runs the Artist Studio Program. And on today's show, Brian walks us through his amazing story of finding his way as an artist about starting to curate his own shows, getting his work shown in New York and San Francisco and so many other places. And you're going to learn a lot about making your own opportunities, about the power of collaboration and partnering with other people. Brian has kind of created this college atmosphere today in his work at the studio at Minnesota Street Project as an artist after never having completed college himself. And he's broken through in a lot of ways, both as an artist and his career in the art world. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I really enjoyed talking to Brian. Okay, let's get started. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We've discovered that we're neighbors. Yep. On the other side of the hill. Yeah. And that you used to run uh, one of my favorite bars in the neighborhood, Rock Bar. That is correct. And we were just talking about how you kind of turned that into your first funded art project. And I, w- I want to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine. There, there was a moment actually when um, SF Momo was doing an, a panel with uh, multiple organizers within various cities and they invited me to be on and I suggested I be on as Rock Bar. And, uh, you know, it kind of added a different twist to the conversation because there were these directors of other art programs from different cities across the world having this conversation about how to develop a thriving program, an arts program. And I was sitting there talking from the point of view of a bar. Um, But for me, it was this time in San Francisco where all the galleries are closing and there was a moment, there was one evening when I was behind the bar working and you know, everyone that was sitting at the bar were these artists mid midway through their career that had just lost their representation, drinking their sorrows away. And it was this kind of real interesting moment to kind of have that point of view of it. Yeah. And that was and, like 2010, 2011 or yeah, 12? like uh, 2011, 12. Yeah. It was around that time. And myself yeah. included, I was working with a gallery and, you know, I didn't real. it took me a while to realize like, you know, why, you know, to make ends meet, it's a little more difficult now. And then I realized, well, that was a sub- substantial amount of income, you know, for many of us. It wasn't, we were all teaching or doing other jobs, but it was still like the significance of like a part-time job and then it's gone. Right. And then you're sitting at a bar and you're trying to contemplate your next move. And it just naturally became this thing, well, we wanted the bar to be popular and busy. And so... I started staging events, but because it was a neighborhood bar, it was like this tricky medium between developing an event that if you just happen to come into the bar, it wasn't, you know, in your face. So right. we had these things where, you know, throughout the course of the evening, it kind of overtook the night and, you know, between music, 
that was being played in my office. We had turntables and no one knew that there were DJs there. I didn't want it to be a DJ bar. You know, I want it to be like this experience. And if you came upon it as a neighbor, you know, if you hung out till midnight, by the time you got to midnight, it got pretty weird. (laughs) But it was, you know, it was approachable for anyone. And, you know, why are there copy machines on every table now? You know, with copies being made, like why, like why are there hot dogs being served by recent MFA grads? You know, like there's just like there's all these odd things happening to kind of activate the space. Yeah. So yeah, it was my first fully funded art project because everything I'd done in the past didn't have a budget, and here I here I am, you know, running a business and providing a venue for these outlets because the galleries weren't open like on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. There weren't openings anymore. Wow! So, so every, everyone was kind of coming there. Yeah. What yeah. did it do for those artists? Did it provide a, a space to show to engage? You know, other artists. It wasn't that serious. It wasn't. Okay. You know, it was, it was. It was. You know, it was a place to get weird. It was also a time where you know we were all being confronted with this big shift in the city and you know there are a lot of we cater to a pretty broad audience there and to have someone new to san francisco come in and be kind of taken back by what was happening for us that was just normal you know so it was an element of you know how do we keep san francisco weird like i moved up here in the late 90s and it was a strange place and that's what drew me here and that's what drew i think a lot of people here yeah and i think you know this you know making the place safer and nicer We've lost some of that. And for that time, for us, it was a place to, you know, retain some of that. I mean, just weirdness, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that for us, that's how, how it went down. I love that we're meeting because I was that person. <laughs> I moved oh, here. <laughs> I, mean, I moved here like six and a half years ago. I mm-hmm. moved into this neighborhood about five years ago. Mm-hmm. I came here to work in tech, but I'm also an artist who loves music and came from Brooklyn. And so I stumbled into Rock Bar and was like, yeah, everything you just said, like, this is weird and fun and cool. And I don't know, there's like a hodgepodge of all different things going on. But at least there's some like, like there's some life and energy happening here. Yeah. So it worked. Great. (laughs) Success. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So let's fast forward a a few years and talk about your role now at Minnesota Street Project. Talk to me about what you do there. I know you're the director of the artist studios. Correct. Yeah. So tell me about what that, what that is all about. Yeah. So uh, we have, we have three buildings on Minnesota Street. And uh, huge warehouses, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have over 150,000 square feet of space, and this has been funded by two people—not a not an industry or a, one company. This two two individuals have put down the capital to develop this project, and we have three buildings. Um, I oversee primarily the studio building, so we have 37 long-term tenants, and then collectively through the year, we're able to support approximately 80 artists annually. Wow! Um, through residencies, uh, short-term rentals. Uh, we have facility use where artists with studios nearby are using our facilities uh, as an extension to their studio. Yeah. Uh, you know, the wood shop, the kiln, these other elements that we've been able to create in this campus environment to support these artists. And then most people out in the world might engage with Minnesota Street Project through the multitude of galleries that are housed yeah. within the the space. It's a beautiful space and mm-hmm. each gallery kind of owns and operates and curates their individual areas that's correct so it's kind of going back to sitting behind the bar and having everyone laid off the galleries are closing this was a response to that um the founders andy and deborah rapaport had an experience in real estate they're patrons to the arts and realized that it was a real estate problem and they are providing a real estate solution 
um, and they're able to you know provide that support for a limited number of galleries. We have other galleries visiting from other cities, other local galleries joining us for a short term period. Um, it's it's absolutely not enough that's needed in the city by way of supporting galleries, nonprofits, and artists. There's you know to give some numbers. There's 300 applicants for our 30 studios. These are people willing to pay for studio space. Wow. Um, and we're able to provide 30 with, with studios. Yeah. You know, so there, there needs to be more of this. How do you feel Minnesota Street Project has impacted the creative community here in San Francisco? I mean, since it opened, I mean, does it feel like it's a drop in the bucket and it's a really strong drop in the bucket? Or does it feel like it's kind of revolutionizing the way people are thinking about supporting artists? I mean, I think it's, I mean, st- like numbers wise, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, I think for creative energy, it might be a strong drop in the bucket. You know, there's a place for many to go um, that's concentrated. You know, there's other pockets in the city on 24th Street with ratio three at all and capital. That's another small pocket. You know, there that it, it's always been a very um, that's been a mode for success in the art world is when things come together in, in concentrated areas. So it's provided a little of that there in the dog patch. Um, but there's much more that needs to happen, and we're well aware of that. And you know, there's there's a a booming six hundred billion dollar industry around us. Yet the arts, which are essential in our cities, are being pushed out. So that's a bigger conversation to be had as well. Yeah, and I mean, I wanted to ask how Minnesota Street Project could be kind of an emblem or an example or a template for other cities and towns who need to support the arts to have that lifeblood in their city. But I guess. I guess maybe how, how does how does the project inspire more maybe just even in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean it could be I think most cities are being confronted with these this conundrum. You know, it's like it's happening everywhere. Um the rising rents. It's it's an all true um or all too common scenario. And uh yeah, I think that there's we when we were starting we we felt that this could be a model and you know, we're a few years in, we're becoming sustainable. And I feel like it could be, you know, translated elsewhere. It's just a matter of who's going to pick that up and fund that. Right, right. You know, um, it can be paid back, we've discovered. You know, so we're looking, you know, if there's a possibility there, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, that's great. And and I'm sure as it keeps going, being able to share more of the insights in the back room and the operations to try to shed light on maybe people who have the money to make these kinds of investments that it it can be profitable. It can really grow and engage the community. Yeah, we have. We, I mean, I do a significant amount of my role is you know bringing people through the program, and I do a lot of a lot of those conversations are happening not just with me, but throughout the project with the other directors at the project, with the founders, with you know we we have people visiting from other cities to come specifically to talk to us about those conversations. So that's hopeful. You know, I do have hope in the in the darkness of all this, like that we're all struggling so bad. Yeah, know? but uh, you know, we're I think. I think people are looking for ways to make this work. When did you start curating shows? Because I I know and I've read that you even started curating shows in your in your home when the gallery started in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. and you're in the bathroom. Well, Must have been a relatively nice sized bathroom, at least. No, it was it was what made it really successful. Was it was like a split, you know, an Edwardian flat here in the Mission, and and the bathroom was split, so the toilet was in its own little. Box. Okay. <laughs> so there was a porcelain toilet and then really tall white walls on either side of it. Um, it was intimate. When I moved here, 
I, I had, I was in Phoenix, you know, out of high school, 17 years old, dropped out of college after like a semester or two. Where were you? I don't even, I mean, let's just say Arizona. I'm just, I was, it's the desert, right? Like, you know, I'm trying to be romantic about this. Like trying to talk about like when you're, what you were when you were 17, it's kind of embarrassing. So, you know, but I was like, you know, I never grew up with a background in art. Uh, my family wasn't around it. I didn't go to art school. Um, I'm a college dropout. And so I kind of came into this uh, a bit, you know, I came into it later in my life, but I still had those interests when I was at that point. And I was navigating it through music, um, shows. Playing music and, and Well, I, you know, it started, and this is kind of embarrassing too, to some degree, because there's a cliche around it, but I got, you know, two turntables in high school and like was really trying to explore that medium. And I think that was kind of some of the first collage that I made. And, you know, I was on the East Coast. I was close enough to kind of have the reverberations of like Africa Mambada and what was happening in New York and New Haven. My friends would come back from trips with their family down there and, and they, I'd be the first person they'd give a mixtape to. And I felt like that was something special. Like they saw that I had interest in that. And here they were, you know, my friends in high school giving me these mixtapes. And I was, you know, hearing these mixtapes of like these shows that people mm -hmm. were doing down there. And so that sparked my interest. Then I got to Phoenix and, you know, there were these elements of putting together shows, but I wasn't curating. I was like, we were throwing parties. Right. We had DJs, we had empty warehouses. And then it, I always, of uh, the groups that were throwing these parties, became the person to, what can we do with all this space? And yeah. I just started thinking about ways to like occupy the space with visuals and, you know, bring in these old projectors and do things. And it wasn't, it wasn't as what you'd expect from that era, the late 90s warehouse party. It was, I think, pretty contemporary considering looking back. And then when I got to here, I spent a few years just observing San Francisco, being really inspired by what was happening here. And and that was, you said, uh, in the 90s? Yeah, 99 I came okay. up. Okay. And then I think sometime around 2003, after I put together a few shows, and all the shows that I was putting together, I didn't really know what a curator was. You know, I didn't go to college and wasn't told, like, curate means... And this is, you know, before the internet was really a thing where now everybody's a curator, you know, right. like there's influencers and there's, a, this was just a time where innocently and naively, I wanted to organize things around what I was trying to do and with the, my peers at the time. And so we were putting on these shows in these empty spaces. And, and in 2003, a space across from Adobe Books was called Mimi Bar. I met this woman, Diane, and I had to show my own work there. And afterwards she was like, this was really great. I want to do more of this. And I said, oh, I have artists that we could bring in. Again, still not even thinking of myself as a curator, just right. as like, here's an opportunity. This space is beautiful. And we started putting together these shows there. Um, that closed. And then that led to, you know, I had this almost year of commitments that I made, you know, verbally. This is, I didn't even have an email address at the time. Like I would call people and be like, hey, can I come by your studio and pick some things for this show in a couple of months? And I had all these conversations going on and, the, and then the space closed. And I was like, I have all this work that I committed to. I want to show this work. And I started reaching, I had the idea like, oh, I could do it in my house. You know, my wife was, girlfriend at the time was, you know, very supportive. Like, sure, let's have it this here. And yeah. went to the artist and told them my idea. And I thought everyone would think I was crazy. And they're like, let's do it, you know. <laughs> and so we started doing these things. I did about four or five like real shows, uh -huh. you know, there. I mean, for a bathroom. Yeah. And then. And then afterwards, it was like, invite artists over to collaborate. And I started a one-day residency program where you'd spend a day with me and we would figure something out and we'd make work, you know? That's cool. Yeah, it was, you know, and then... Were you looking at certain models or things you saw out in the world? Well, or I knew, was that so, so by that point, you know, it was like, 
what a good 10 years into like i'm gonna be an artist you know right. i told myself i want to be an artist i don't know what that really meant but i did something every day you know towards that goal you know if it wasn't making work it was like doing something and i had figured out enough about the art world um i knew about what galleries were doing things in the 80s and the 90s and like what was like influential and i was kind of following along and you know i could take what i could in. i started hanging out with like here in San Francisco with all the, all, all the artists that I knew were going at CCA and Stanford for their MFAs. And I just happened to be their friend and would hang out with them and hear all these conversations and go and visit them at their schools. And so vicariously, I kind of experienced some of their experience minus all the academics. Right. Right. And, you know, I knew that Gracie mansion in New York in the eighties was doing shows in her bathroom. I emailed her and said, you know, I'd like to just, you know, just get your approval that like, I'm pretty much taking your idea. Like I've, 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 I've thought about this. I want to do it. I know that you've done it. You did it really well. You launched a whole entire gallery program from it. That's not my goal, but just want your blessing. And she wrote me back and said, that sounds great. You know? And then, you know, I reached out to ratio three because I knew that he was before he had the gallery space was doing things in his home. And, you know, Chris Solars was doing six, six, seven shot. Well, we eventually collaborated. Um, We actually started working together as Arthur Allen, which are our two uh, middle names. Um, my legal middle name uh, with his. Um, and we've done projects with City Hall and SF MoMA and Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. Um, we've achieved all those things that we haven't independently in our own careers, but we jumped the gun with these collaborative efforts. Wow. Um, and that kind of happened through those spaces there. So, yeah. What, what do you think it is about collaboration, teamwork, kind of having somebody to bounce something off of that helps sometimes get things going that you can't do in your own, like, box? Yeah, you know, you sit, you can stare, like I can stare at a wall or a painting for hours and just like, you know, have that, like just wrestle with the idea of like, is something complete? Am I on the right track? And sometimes it just takes being or working on something with somebody else to get you kind of out of your thought process. There's, there's things you get that, that I know I get hung up on. I'm sure a lot of artists can relate to this. You get hung up on like, it has to be this way or I'm getting through this process and this is what it's going to, these are the goals. If you get stopped there, you know, then you're kind of stuck. Yeah, you lose the flow of the moment of creation, and you yeah, start you're, to you're, think. you're focusing on the thing when yeah. you should be just just going for it, you yeah. know. And you know, I have my own ways to get myself outside of those when I'm independently working in the studio. But I always find whenever I work with other people, it's like, oh, I don't need to have it like that in my own work. So things come back to me of you know these problems, like solving solving problems in your studio when you have this other view, you know, you have this other experience of making. So it really yeah. helps with the work itself. And then the networking and the pitching and the relationship building, that stuff that you obviously had been doing on your own, but with the partner, maybe it, it helps spread it out or increase. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, I think if, if you just, you know, there's, there's that romantic feeling like just to check out completely. You know, like I, I had a piece in a show I did in LA that then was a center point of like what I felt like I was trying to go through at that point was I really kind of wanted to check out and, and just, I think the piece was titled bong rips at the community ceramic center. And it was just this like a romantic idea as an artist that sometimes you just want to not be involved and not have the weight of art history and this canon of art always around you while you're making. And that idea of just checking out and like being just anonymous at a community ceramic center with non-artists working with clay you know it's really romantic to think about you know so 
But getting the professionalism in or getting those relationships in, you know, with collaborating, yeah, it, it benefits it. But at the same time, you know, it could also just be a way to just do something weird that you don't want to do on your own. Yeah. And what about that moment you talked about back in the mission where you, know, you said, oh, you know, you, you had some work that you had been creating. This is, you know, maybe one of your first shows in the mission that you mm-hmm. mentioned. Yeah. So when did you move beyond music, parties, kind of curating in that way and, and you know, DJ culture into producing paintings and found art uh, objects and, and experiences? When did you actually start to create yourself? Well, I think around that time I, I started, I, I identified as being a painter and you know, looking back, I didn't really have any training, so I was making a lot of mistakes, and I was also influenced a lot by what was happening in the Bay Area, and I, I can admit that a lot of it was pretty derivative. You know, like there's things that I was trying to explore that um, I think others might, you know, compliment a bit more than I would, and say, you know, there was some things there that you're pushing that were really interesting, and um, what I found was is in all these, in all this work that I didn't find successful at the time, even with a little bit of reflection, I started cutting up work. I started just like dealing with this accumulation. And then that's where I got to these, you know, smaller object pieces or these other elements, because then these small fragments became something of much more importance. Um, But there, yeah, it took a while. And then also going and and painting murals was kind of part of that transition, you know, or of doing things from, from not necessarily a visual um, culture of, or community, but, with music, it was natural to, you know, be out and painting in an alley, like, and doing things out in the street was, it was natural. And the space allowed for my mistakes to kind of flourish rather than trying to confine them into a, a, a particular size canvas. Yeah. Um, and was that I, when you first picked up the the paintbrush when you were working in spaces? I, I'm curious about that yeah, moment. The first where time, you... like, when did I make a painting? Yeah. Like, I think yeah. in Arizona, I made some really bad paintings. You know, like, there is probably like, I'm going to go get paint and I'm going to figure this out. And I kind of put that down and was doing other things. Um, and I came up here and was drawing a lot and I was making these collage stickers with like, like I went to a, a store that, you know, they do the signs and I got a, a stockpile of these, vi- this vi- these vinyl rolls and I was making these collages that were just colorful with those. And, and then, yeah, it kind of sparked my interest to start painting. And I had a tenderloin studio apartment and I just started with these rolls of canvas on the wall and would just paint on them. And I never really finished any of them. I just would keep painting over them until they were too heavy and they'd kind of fall down. Um, and I never really resolved anything at that time, except for that moment where I, like, then I had to move or I had to deal with them. And I, and I just cut them up and I dealing with those pieces. I, I had someone over and they're like, what's that's a really beautiful piece. And I was like, it's a really minimal, you know, and then I was like, Oh, there's these other things in art. Like I was still teaching myself a lot about even just various styles of art at the time. And I was, oh yeah, that's very minimal. You know, yeah. it's the first time I heard someone like compliment something being minimal. And I like, well, there's something there, right? That's pretty interesting. So I started looking at all these other things I cut up and I was like, oh, there are some compositions in here that are interesting. Huh. You know? I love how you kind of stumbled into accidentally being in a very free and open creative space because you weren't trying to finish something. You were just working it out and working it out which I think can be really, really freeing as a creative person or an artist because most of the time 
you're trying to finish a piece for a show or you yeah. you want to have something to show for all your work, but you were just, you know, playing in 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 the artistic sense just to just to work out the muscles. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And you just and then you cut it off. I mean, that was my school, you know. Like right. it was like I was that was me going to school, you know. I I don't know what what they do in art school. <laughs> maybe it's something like that. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, General Assembly. They're an amazing organization with a campus here in San Francisco, and they have campuses actually all across the globe and the country. And they offer courses in UX design, data science, if you want to become a developer or learn how to code. They've got classes and workshops and boot camps and courses where you can take when you're in a job on nights and weekends or when you're between jobs and you really want to shift your skill set towards the next career that's going to have you doing something that you'll love. So I'm excited that we've got a special code to use at checkout for 15% off any class or workshop, and that's Making Ways. Just type in Making Ways at checkout, and you'll get 15% off. So visit General Assembly's website. It's just General Assembly in the browser, and then put a dot before the L-Y, and you'll go right there. Let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the show. Looking back, have there been kind of pivotal moments in your career that you that you think, like, thank God I met that person and I went for it in that moment? Or looking back, are there decisions you made that that actually kind of set you back because you just didn't know better? Mm-hmm. Have, have you thought uh, about that in terms of where you are today? I've had this trajectory that I've always just been moving forward, and so. Um, you know, there are moments, certain people that I was meeting around that time when we had the space on 16th street where I I still have strong relationships with all those artists today. And, um, many of them have brought my work to New York and made introductions to to the the things that I'm doing now in some, in some way, directly or indirectly. Um, but I think the most important moment of my career if like you want to call what i'm doing a career um without having an mfa and navigating the art world how i was everything that i was doing up to a point was initiated by myself or a close network of friends and i've never really applied to many grants or awards but i applied to one award the artadia award um and i had just met my first sf gallery at the time and they encouraged me to do it and help me with the application and um, for my first solo show was when they were in town doing studio visits and I didn't have a really significant studio at the time. And they visited that show and I had a conversation with them and the jurors. And then the next week I learned that I had won the award. And um, not thinking much about it, um, you know, I kind of looked through the alumni and I'm realizing, you know, of the hundreds of people they've given this award to, the majority of these people are coming out of strong MFA programs. Like, that's interesting, but that was just a hunch at the time. That was just an observation I made. I was looking at everyone's work, their CVs, and who is this that I'm now, you know, acquainted with in the by way of this. And what that did was it it opened the door and gave validation where before I didn't feel like I had any because I didn't have that MFA or I didn't have um, that particular gallery representing my work. Um, and shortly after that, the trajectory sped up really quick. You know, it was. A solo show here, a solo show in New York. The New York gallery introduced me to Acme in LA. 
and with a, a solo show at Atlantic Contemporary associated with your award. All these things happened um, in the course of a year or two where I had a, a great run of successful exhibits that were really impactful and I think you know, brought me beyond the neighborhood here. And was that a mix of the art world seeing that kind of stamp of approval and recognizing it as well as you feeling more confident and validated by being in that was it was it that marriage of the two or did one kind of really just help catapult it i mean for me at the time the validation wasn't i wasn't quite aware of it i i I can look back now and see that was a definitive time for others for myself i was always kind of blindly confident like that got me to where I was. You know, I think many of us working as artists kind of have that, this element of, I can do this, but then you have these internal freakouts every half hour. Right, you know? right. So it's like, it's like, it's kind of, you know, bipolar, but you, you do have this element of like, yeah, it was a false confidence, but I, I, I at the time was like, yeah, this is, this is what I should be doing. I was even naive to think that, you know, arriving in New York and having that first solo show in New York and that ground force play space, a few doors down from the new museum and it's selling out and getting an art form review is just like, this is where I'm at. This is the rest of my career. Like, it, well, when's the next opportunity like this? And, you know, and I had some time doing that. And then, you know, the gallery here closes, the gallery in New York closes, the gallery in LA closes. And these aren't just, you know, small startup, like project spaces run by artists. These were significant programs, you know, decades strong that with the turning art market, just decided they don't want to really be involved in that way anymore. And I'm, you know, kind of reinventing myself now. Um, I had the stability of my position at Minnesota Street Project. I'm navigating my own work with the support of that as well. And, you know, I'm learning what it is that I want to do next in this process. And I'm slowed down quite a bit and I'm comfortable with that for the first time, you know, in my making. Just take my time. There's no rush. Do you have an artist studio at Minnesota yeah. Street Project? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how do you mentally approach the the time and space you allot to your your day job, which is in the arts, and your own art making practice? Are you pretty regimented about it? Is it a little more intuitive? How do you make time to invest in both in meaningful ways i mean that's that's always the you know that's the big the thing right right? i think we all uh yeah that's the big thing yeah (laughs) where when i first became a father i i had a good year or so where there was a lot of stress and a lot of um around my practice not being a father that was easy like I, i i really kind of fell into that and you know my wife and i were definitely freaked out she was supportive of me doing my work and traveling for these shows that I was having. This all kind of happened when like the next thing you know, I have a, an infant and I've got to go, you know, all across the country for these shows. But I had a definitive kind of just revelation after a good amount of time of stressing out about that eight hour work day in the studio. You know, like when am I gonna how am I gonna do this? I need to balance these jobs or these other commitments, being a parent, am I how is this gonna work? And then I realized before I was a father, before I was a parent, I never had an eight hour studio day. You know, I've always, we've always balanced these multiple commitments, you know, with our schedules. So 
it's pretty fluid now. I I can take time during the day if my schedule's light with my workload. Um, knowing that that night I'll be at my computer, you know, catching up and doing the admin side of things. Um, I've been able to navigate my position there really freely and make commitments that I'm comfortable making for the project and that are within a reasonable bandwidth. There are moments where it gets really busy. I might have to kind of put aside my own practice for, for some time, but I'm still surrounded by it. I'm in my studio working at my desk. I'm, I'm in it. So then when I get those moments, half hour, hour, two or three hours here and there between meetings sometimes, um, I can really articulate what it is I'm trying to achieve because I've been with it for weeks thinking about it. And I've never had the types of tools and resources that are within the building as well to really articulate things um, in the way that I can now. Yeah, so you're in a very supportive environment both to your own creativity and the tools. And so it's a good a good place to be fluid around kind of hopping in and out of the daytime work and the and the creative process. Yeah, completely. That's that's so exciting. How what role has because you talked about not growing up with artists and and doing art, what role has creativity and art making played in in your approach to life, in your approach to mental, you know, health and happiness and things like that has has it always been a a a part of that or do you feel kind of pretty straight ahead and then you know you have this art thing going um i mean i identify with the work that i make as a person as well you know so there's um you know i know i'm a better friend a better husband a better father better director with my job when i when i'm involved with making art you know making the work is a great exercise for me to navigate things that um you know we live in a fucked up world and i can get really you could get really hung up on that and there are things that you can do day to day to kind of navigate that and participate and that's outside of my practice you know things that i'm trying to do in that way be, being a better person but when you get down to something as ridiculous as art making and you can take your stress out on those things rather than other things in your life, I think you are a better person. And I think you have a capability to cope a bit more. And I'm not saying the work that I'm making is going to change the world. Um, I think that's something that uh, you know, tech and art can have in common that's not often discussed is the ego that uh, in tech, many identify as these innovators that are going to change the world. I don't really buy that. I don't think that's going to happen. There's going to be few. And I think in art, a lot of artists think that the art that they make is going to change the world. And if we're honest, it's the, the audience is quite small to really have that type of far-fetching ideas. But there is art that can be made that does that. And if you're not making art with that agenda, you can do things in other parts of your life that can fulfill that. And I think that that's part of my role as a director there is what are the ways that I can give back and what are ways that I can contribute some of the knowledge that I have and the experience that I have um, to a larger community and how can I advocate for them and at sometimes just listen and and be able to, to provide opportunities for those that don't have that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for joining thank the you. show. I've loved this conversation. It's great, great to I can't wait to learn hear more it. about you. Yeah, <laughs> you will soon. <laughs> 
That was my conversation with Brian Nuda Roche. Brian, thank you so much for joining the show and being so open and giving in the conversation and sharing insights and advice for all of you out there listening. You guys should definitely check out Brian's work at briannudaroche.com. You have to check out Minnesota Street Project at minnesotastreetproject.com. And thank you guys so much for listening. I've really been loving doing the show and there's been some amazing conversations. So if you're just joining us, be sure to go back in time, listen to one of our previous episodes, find one that you think is going to resonate with you and let me know what you think. Check out makingways.co, which is our official website. There you can see the original illustrations I do of guests and articles and show notes and so much more. You can sign up for our newsletter and you can follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all of those places. So go to makingways.co. That's not makingways.com. That one wasn't available, but just .co and we'll see you on the interwebs. Making Ways intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. If you can, it would mean a lot to me and to the show and to exposing more people to Making Ways. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend or a colleague or somebody in your life who you think might get something from the conversation as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.